That was very kind. I, uh, I don't want there to be any illusions. Um, if I'm left to my own devices, I'm a horrible person. And uh, there's one person that helps me, and that's Jesus Christ. And the more I aspire to be like him, the better person I am. Um, I was raised in a pastor's home. I wore my rededicator out by the time I was 14. I heard every invitation hymn you could ever hear. If you love your mother, come forward. If your grandmother was a good person, come forward. You know, they just want people to come forward. And I, the most I knew about church, I was supposed to go forward. And uh, so I left. And I went on my own for a number of years. And uh, it got horrible. And after I played basketball a year in a place called uh, Northeast State in Alabama, I came home and the Lord apprehended me. And it's been a journey ever since. Sometimes it was a joyful journey, and sometimes it wasn't. But it's been a journey. After I had pastored for a number of years, I realized that I was an angerholic. Have any of you been to a 12-step group here? Yeah. Thank God for John Wesley, who set the foundations for 12-step groups, huh? Yeah. So dealing with that addiction to adrenaline, the Lord brought me to a new place. And I thank God for that. Pastored a church uh, where we are now for 43 years. Had five years before that. Last year, uh, we placed the leadership of the church in my eldest son's hands. And I'd been, since 1989, working with churches and other pastors. and um, So that's what I'm doing now. I'm here. I get to go love on people all over the place. And you're some of my favorite people to love on. Thank you. You guys support us, and we thank you for that. We've uh, traveled some this year, not as much as we want. The uh, Trinidad is still closed, and Kenya they just canceled the ministry trip that we're going to have that we were supposed to go in August, and so we work with a uh, uh, orphanage there. So we'll probably take our plane ticket money and send it to the orphanage since uh, we're not going to be using it to travel and uh, that was already dedicated to the Lord when Sheila and I got married she had no idea who she was marrying <laughs> how many of you know love has a certain kind of blindness to it you know and I had no idea who I was marrying but I was sure lucky. 
actually I was blessed because I got the best end of that deal by a long way. We started out, though, in, our, in uh, my parents' home. That's where we spent the first couple of weeks before we moved out. The first year we were married, we lived in seven different places. The Lord was saying something to us, and we didn't even know it. We weren't smart enough to know that then. But what the Lord was saying to us is that part of our life was going to be out of Psalms 84. If you're going to get on your phone and look it up, you can. Uh, And we'll read that in a minute. But the next 17 years, we were Appalachian trailer trash. We lived in trailers for 17 years. We had six kids, but as we got more kids, we had to get a bigger place. And um, so every time Sheila would get an unction, we, we ought to go to another place. It was like, oh, man, we don't need to move. I'd still be living in a trailer. But thank God she got these unctions from the Lord and said, let's move. (laughs) Our first trailer was so small that the back bedroom that we stayed in, they put a full-size bed, not a trailer bed in, and there wasn't enough room for anything else. The trailer, the bed came to the edge of the door, so you just walked to the door and sat down on bed. And if you're going to get in the closet, you had to step across the bed, put your knee on the bed, open the door so you get your clothes out. There was no other room for anything in that room other than the bed itself. Matter of fact, she was in the bathroom one time after Jeremiah was born, and she laid him on the side of the bed, and I didn't know he was there, and I was putting on my socks, and I sat down on him. I heard, (coughs) what's that? And there was a baby there. There was no place else to put the kid, you know. But I about, you know, she, she birthed the boy. I hatched him. So it was just, just one of those things, you know. It was small. Now, we built a house 10 years ago. We built it from reuse center to, to all kinds of Goodwill stores, auction houses. We got all our materials from different places when we built this house. And the Lord blessed us. Now our home has next door to it a married couple. Just been married about a year. And then we have downstairs daughters. We have a redhead. We have a blonde. And we have a Nigerian daughter downstairs. And so now our house is not just a little trailer. But our house is a house for other people. We've been in this journey of moving from place to place. In Psalms 84 it says this. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is on a pilgrimage, As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. 
Each one appears before God in Zion. Isn't that a picture of our lives? One of the biggest things that I would, I would, I would tell anybody to be careful of is to reach that place where you think you've arrived in your Christian walk. When I started out my walk with the Lord, started out in a, Christ, in, in, a, in a Church of Christ Christian church. And if you know anything about that group of people, if you get baptized, you've arrived. Now, later on, I found out that, you know, you do have to have a conversion in your heart. I think sometimes people are baptized and all they get is a bunch of people filled with demon, wet demons. And, and that creates a problem. But then I found out as I walked with the Lord, I found out that there were other things. And, and, and a personal relationship with Christ opened up to me. And a personal experience with the Holy Spirit opened up to me. And I began to move, as it says in Romans, from faith to faith. So we're on a journey. We're, we were not just on a journey in the physical, but we were on a journey in the spiritual. And if you ever get to that place where you think you've arrived, man, we got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we thought we had arrived, only to find out we were just beginning. Have you ever met people who have thought they have arrived and they know it all? Boy, they hurt the church, don't they? Because it's like, it's like Sister Bertha better than you. You know what I'm saying? It's from the first self-righteous church. But one of the things that keeps us humble is I'm on a journey. I hope I don't arrive until I arrive before God, like this says, in heaven. Now that's your journey too. Biggest problem with the church is we want clean fish, we just don't want fish. I was, I was in a church, I was a youth minister there, and we started getting kids from off the street. And one of the ladies came and said to me, I don't know if my children can come to the youth group anymore. I said, really, why not? She says, well, there's sinners there. Some of these kids are sinners. I said, do tell. <laughs> are you kidding me? And she said, no. I said, I got news for you. The youth group leader's a sinner. She goes, uh, well, I'm not talking about that kind. I don't know another kind. Well, all messed up, man. All messed up some way, somewhere, somehow. Man, we all need Jesus. You, you need Jesus. Now, if you've never met him before, that's the best thing you'll ever do. But if you've known him for a hundred years, let me tell you this, you need Jesus. I need Jesus. But I want to talk about something about the church here that I've been praying about and been on my heart. First, first sermon I ever preached here when we were in the other building, when part of this church was in the other building, I preached out of Haggai. 
Haggai 1. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. How would you like to have that name? What did they call him for short? Hey, Hag. <laughs> hey, Guy. I don't know. Guy would be better than Hag, I think. But anyway, his name's Haggai the prophet. Did you know there's a, there's a guy that was one of uh, David's mighty men called Dodo? I mean, how how do you like to, like it's calling Navy SEAL Dodo. I don't know that I want to do that. Anyway, back to where we are. Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while the house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and have harvested little. You've eaten but never had enough. You drink but you never had your fill. You clothe yourself with but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes in them. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways and go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it. And that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it became little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because my house lies in ruins. While each of you busy yourself with your own house, therefore the heavens above you withheld dew, and the earth withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on grain and new wine and oil and on what uh, the growth brings forth, the ground brings forth, O man and beast, and in all their labors. What I don't want to do today is I don't want to put this in a negative thing because this is not a judgment. It's not that you all have done anything wrong. Now, I want you to be clear on that. It's not what this is about. But what it is about is about that, that transformation. That God has us all in a transformation. The man who had founded part of this church, the church that Dwight led, I knew personally he was a great man. One of the hardest things for any pastor is to keep the people focused on the Lord and not on him. Now, I want you to know that. The biggest favor that you can do Nick and Richard and Dwight is to focus on the Lord and worship him and don't get into the place to where the pastor, he needs honor, sure, that's right, but he doesn't need worship. And I see so many pastors. I see so many situations where men are willing to receive God's glory to themselves. And people are willing to give it. And what I want to say is, you know, the glory belongs to the Lord. And he's a jealous God. 
Now, in the Jewish tradition, they have an evening sacrifice. And it's okay for you all to tell me I did all right, but you know what I do? In the evening sacrifice, I go, Lord, they said all this nice stuff, but between you and I, <laughs> between you and I, we know, and it's yours. So, here, you just take it. Now, that's my job. If I don't keep that clear, I lose my way. Because I start looking for your approval. Uh, I want you to know, in one sense, you have no idea how little I care what you think about me. The one I do care is the Lord Jesus Christ. I care about what he thinks. I may say something you don't like. And if it's a sin, I'll repent and ask you to forgive me and God will spank me. And that's a kindness. But if I do something that you like and you want to say I appreciate that, I'm going to say thank you. And in the evening sacrifice, I'm going to go, Lord, they said these nice things and you and I know it's you. I, I want to encourage you to have an evening sacrifice. Just so you keep it clear between you and the Lord. So what I'm saying about Richard McAfee is that he was a great guy and he started a church and it was a good church and it was a great church but someplace along the line people became devoted to him rather than to the church. They became devoted to a church building that he was a part of, that he happened to be the one when the church was built. And the first message I preached was, we, this is not the Lord's house, this is Richard's house. Now that's not, that's not a criticism of Richard. It's a criticism that we haven't kept our, our understanding clear. And you know when you all left, there were people who were so attached to that church building and so attached to the man that started that church building, they couldn't go with you. Do you remember that, some of you? I remember that. That was painful. That was painful. I remember back then that some of the millennials said, you know, we want a different kind of church. We want a, we want a freer church. We think we ought to, like, have a coffee shop and... And, and the idea, and the Lord blessed that, and, and, and now we're here. And someplace along the line, the Lord says, I, I want you to make the family bigger. And there is another family that says, we want to be bigger. Now that family had just been born. It was a church plant. And you know what it was with them? They had to move from being a church plant to being a part of a church in a marriage. Now, that's a big change. It's easy to plant churches. Well, I take that back. It's not easy. It'll kill you if you don't do it, if, you, if the Lord doesn't tell you how to do it. But what I'm saying is you could plant 16 churches of 60 people and never move to the place to where you become a home for people. You just become a birthing center. Do you hear what I'm saying? 
So these two churches got married, and now it's us. Isn't that wonderful? It's us. And we're on this journey together. And what we're saying is, we're saying that in some ways we've been building our own home because we've had to build relationships with each other. We had to find out who was actually a part of the church and who was a part of somebody's ministry. When my dad passed the church to me, there were people who left. You know why they left? I was hurt. But the more I studied church, church development, I began to realize that people are devoted to leaders, and if the leader doesn't keep it straight in the people's hearts, when the leader goes, the people go. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. Do you know when my son took over last year? Guess what happened? There were people that left because they thought I was something. Even though through the years I've confessed my sins, I've confessed my addictions, I've repented before them publicly and openly, and they knew that I, I was... I was just a broken, rotten sinner saved by God's grace, picked for this job, not another job. But they still saw something in me that they thought was more important than following Jesus in his church. Can you believe that? It's just incredible. That's just amazingly incredible that that happens in people's minds. I've been in a place of transition leadership in a number of churches. Well, we were part of the transition here, a number of other churches where the older guy is, is handing it off to a younger guy. And you know what? Almost every time, there's people that leave. Now, what he's saying here, Haggai's saying, is he's saying, look, we're going to build a house, and some of you are so married to your house, you're not going to invest in the house of the Lord. That's what he's saying. And he's saying, I haven't blessed you because I've seen that you've been more invested in your house than you have in the house of the Lord. You know what? I think the Lord's saying that again to this house. I think the Lord is saying the coffee shop is great. It was a great place to have a home and to the, to the two marriages and when they came together. But now it's time to move out of mom and dad's house and move into your own home. Just like Sheila and I left my mom and dad's house, we moved into our own home. Then we moved back to my grandparents' house. Then we moved to another, uh, well, that was a doctor's office, wasn't it? Man, that doc it was a little country doctor's office. It was like... It was just a little. She was sick then with Jeremiah pregnant. Whew. I, anyway, then we moved. <laughs> then, then we moved to a trailer, and, and uh, that's, where, that's where I hatched Jeremiah. And, uh, and then the church decided to, to, to buy a parsonage, which is a double wide trailer. Double wide, yeah. We're big time. No more hatching kids. They just grow up on their own. <laughs> One side of the trailer, we never had heat in. In the winter, we'd have frost crawling up the wall. That woman right there, she's the most athletic person I ever saw. 
she'd put one foot at the door and she would leap and hit the bed and slide under the covers. Because if you walked across the floor, you'd get frostbite. It was cold. It was cold. So we're on this journey. You're on a journey. You're on a journey with the Lord. If you make this place, if you make this place your destination, you know, there's a saying for some of us who spend time in the woods, and some are hikers and some are woodsmen, and I'm not much of a hiker, but I love the woods. It says, uh, the destination is the journey. As long as you're here on earth, I want you to know that's true. The destination of earth is on the journey to the Lord. So, what are we talking about today? We're talking about this next chapter. Second chapter of Haggai, or Haggy, as we got to know him personally. Hags. Hey, let's go hang out at Hag's house. Anyway. The fourth verse says this. Yet now be strong. That's what I call this message. Let, yet now be strong. I'm going to tell you something. Every time God calls you to another level of faith, the just live by faith, says we live from faith to faith. Every level of faith, you've got to be strong because you're facing something new in the Lord and things in you have to die that you've gotten comfortable with so you can move to the next level in the Lord. He says, now be strong. Zubarul declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoadak, whatever his name is, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant I have made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts. Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Man, that's exciting. That's exciting. You ever notice how the Lord does something? It's really interesting. He says, I want you to be strong. And, and I wonder what those people were thinking. Be strong. What do we need to be strong? He said, I'm going to give you all this stuff. He's going, wow. That's great. Now, you know, nations just don't give up their gold easy. You got to go take it from them. God says it's your gold, but it's still in their coffers. So you got to go get it. It's like he said, I'm going to give you the land of milk and honey. Now, he didn't tell them that those cows were wild and the milk was still in them. You ever tried to milk a wild cow? Now, that's a trick. 
You ever try to get honey from a beehive and not get stung? Now that's a trick. See, God says, oh, you're going to the land of milk and honey. And all those folks are going, hey, we're going to the land of milk and honey. <laughs> Can't wait. Like I saw a post on Facebook. It says, farmers are facing a drought this year, and it's making farming more difficult to raise crops. And one of the things down in the, and what do they call those answer things where people, what is it? Comments. comments, yeah. Down the comments, there was a comment, why do they have to work so hard at farming? They can just go to Kroger's and buy it. It's like, come on, child. Come on, child, you're smarter than that. But you know, some Christians think like that. I want to become a Christian, and it's just going to come to me. I'm now in the lap of luxury. I just, I don't have to do it. Yeah, you've got to quit sinning. Now, the Lord's going to give you the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit to help you. And he's going to give you, he's going to give you gifts to help you. But you know what? You're going to have to do some work. You're going to have to... You know, it, 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 it takes a while when, you, when you're used to swearing. It takes a while to even think after you've said the swear word to think, I shouldn't have said that because it's just automatic. And, and then, then in the middle of it, you, you start to think after a while, after you work on that for a while, then in the middle of saying it, you think, oop, I'm going to stop. God bless us all. There's an old man in the mountain, and uh, he had a pretty foul mouth, and every time he met me as a preacher, he found out as a preacher, and he would go, Hello, preacher. Because <laughs> his, was, his byword was hell. But then after you stop yourself in the middle of it, then what you have to do is when you're ready to say it, you have to, Think of it before you say it so you don't say it. And then after a while, you get to the place to where you don't even think about saying it. That's a journey. That's, that's work. Because nobody wants to hear a preacher up in the pulpit swearing. So you got to stop. And it's a journey. I don't care what you're dealing with. It's a journey. It's the same way with building any house. It's a journey. It's going to be a journey for you all. The Lord told us to build a house. We said, yay, Lord. I don't know what we were thinking. <laughs> uh, you know. This is a truth factor right here. I bring her along so I can't lie. <laughs> if I start to tell a story, she goes, uh, that's not how it was. Uh, yes, ma'am, you're right. Now, we had to go to these places and find the flooring. We got our flooring at an auction, and it was like uh, $4 or $2. $2 a linear foot, and 
And I thought, I can put this down. I've worked with my hands before. and Don't ever do that. <laughs> you know, you, you can learn what a fool you are by just trying something. And now I finished it, but whew, my old knees. Is it going to be work moving from this place to wherever God has you? Yeah, it will be. But you know you've got to get out of your honeymoon nest because you've got to start living life. Because it's really have, hard to have babies in a honeymoon nest. It's like we found out in that little trailer. We couldn't have many children in that little trailer because I'd be hatching them all. I'd be sitting on them. We had to find some place to put them kids. So we had to make, we had to make a decision. And it was a harder decision. We've got, we've got to grow. Anytime the Lord calls us to something, it's like the Lord's called us to... <laughs> when I went to the church in, in, in Newport, the church wasn't large enough to support me, so I labored construction for six and a half years. And the church grew large enough to support us financially. Now I'm back. church isn't supporting me. Oh, they support, they give to the ministry. But now I'm back having to find a way that the Lord and you all kind enough to do that. You see, it's, it's, a, new, it's a new place for me. I, I'm uncomfortable asking people for money. I don't like to do that. But the Lord says, well, you can, you can starve to death in your pride or you can humble yourself and ask. And he showed me this thing in the Bible that says you have not because you ask not. Oh, oh man, you start using the Bible against me, God? <laughs> Come on. It's like it's your word or something. Oh, wait a minute, it is. So the Lord's, the Lord's doing something, but it's not always comfortable. Every new place, new levels have new devils. Sometimes you have to fight them. But then someplace God requires you to grow in your faith. And, and when you have to grow in faith, it's the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So you're hoping for something, but you can't see it. But you have to live like it's there. And when you start living like it's there and trusting the Lord, all that fear begins to go away. And all of a sudden, you're able to live in that level of faith. And then God says, well, we're not done there. We're going to go to another level. And you go, oh, Lord, help us. That's just the way the Christian life is. You know why Jesus does that? He wants us to depend on him, not our own strength or our own wisdom or our own moral grit and, and, and all of that. He wants us to depend on him every day. And if you're not growing from faith to faith, I want to tell you something. You're probably not relying on Jesus to the level you need to. That's just the way it is. And it's that way as a church. So I want to say today, I love you all. You all know that. But in order to build a church, you have to have an uncluttered foundation. I think the Lord's going to take you to a place to where no one can look back and say, oh yeah, you remember when we were two churches? 
because this building reminds me of what? What does it remind you of? Oh, I was here in the first, some of the first meetings when, you, when the one church came and visited and sat around and, and, and we talked and, and Nick was saying, well, I wonder why there's not more people here and, and Dwight was going, I wonder why there's not more of our people here and, and everybody was trying to show their best show. It's like courting, you know? You get all spiffed up and, and, and she doesn't know what she's getting and you don't know what you're getting. You know, it used to be the girls ask, or the guys asked the girls out, and it was like, oh, poor girls. I want to tell you something. Poor girls, nothing. She painted up, smelling good, looking good. When I saw her, I was done. I know poor girl. She already had me. I was already hooked. That's the way, that's the way these two churches were. There's... Oh, look at here. Here's what I got to offer. Oh, here's what I got to offer. And now they're married, and they, they figured out that, well, yeah, they do have some good things, but they do have some holes. And that one has some good things, and it's got holes, and that's fine. That's the way every marriage is. But you can't stay on your honeymoon forever. Sometimes you have to get in a house where you can actually have kids, and you can actually grow, and you can actually mature, and you can actually become one. And that's what the church, uh, that's what I think God's looking for right now. He's saying, I want y'all to be one the way you've never been one. So that when you walk in that, nobody looks back and says, oh, I remember those days. God doesn't want us remembering those days. God wants us to look ahead and say, we're here to build his house. Because the house is becomes a home. And the home, somebody want to go get the kids, they can. And the home becomes a place where you have your meal that sustains you. You always need a kitchen in a house. You, you can do I grew up in the country. We had an outhouse. You don't have to have a water closet in your house. Matter of fact, we had a lady in East Tennessee. Kids all went together and told her they was going to buy her. They was going to put a toilet in her house. And she says, I'll not have that. This is Granny Arwood. She says, I'll not have that. The beast of the field is the only one that used the restroom in the same house they eat. I'll not do that. You'll not put one of those in my house. Well, okay, it gets cold down there and it's snowy and you've got to have a big flat rock on the hearth so you walk a few feet in the snow and then you put it down, put your feet on the rock to keep it, get your feet warm, then you pick it up and take a few, and that's the way you go to the outhouse in the mountains. I don't know how you all do it around here. You don't need an outhouse in the house. But you need a kitchen. Because a kitchen is what makes a home. It's the table that makes the home. The table's where you come at the end of the day to rest. The table's where you sit down at the table and you look across the table, eyeball to eyeball. You notice when you look in somebody's eyes, 
You can't hide because the eye's a window to the soul. Somebody starts getting shifty on you and they go, yeah, well, I, I, I was, and you go, wait a minute. I've been around a little bit, and when people start, oh, you look me in the eye. I know you're telling me the truth. Well, the table at home is where you look across the table at the other person. You look at them in the eyes. You see that thing flutter behind their eyes? It's a little question. You go, hey, what's going on? Are we okay? Because that happens at the table. You get the nourishment at the table. You get, you get the thing that's going to sustain you for the next day, the next week. Sometimes you get the food you like and sometimes you don't get the food you like. My wife thought I liked Brussels sprouts and I told her right away, I don't eat the devil's cabbage. <laughs> well, I got that straight right off. So there's some things that's not going to show up at the table. You know what I'm saying? You know, at the Lord's table, there's some things that doesn't show up there like our sin. The Bible actually says do an inventory. At our church, we have people, we have elders that come up and people can confess their sin and get prayer and do whatever they need to do before they receive the, the body and the blood of the Lord. Because there's some things that don't belong at the table. There's some things that do. But the table's where home is. And we're in this, we're in this uh, Psalms 84. And it says, The tabernacle, the home of the Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home. Anybody can find a home. And the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altar, O Lord of hosts, my King, my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will sing your praises. Whether you're in a coffee shop whether you're in a cathedral. It's the house of the Lord. It's his home. And it's his table. He wants to meet you there face to face. It's a celebration. It's remembering of his death, burial, and resurrection. It's the sharing of his own life through his body and his blood for you to have life. It's where home is. As we started traveling, you know where home is for me? It's wherever that girl is. Wherever that girl sits down to eat, wherever that girl goes to bed, that's home. Now, we got a house we live in, but we have a home here. It's in a hotel room, but it's a home. Home's not defined by the building. Home's defined by the presence. And so when we share the body and the blood of the Lord, his presence is here. 
I don't know how people understand what this is. Some people say it's a symbol. In some ways it is. It absolutely is. In other words, Jesus said, this is my body and this is my blood. I agree with him. Some people want to figure out how that happens. I got no idea. I'm not smart enough to cram God's wisdom into four pounds of gray matter. There is an ever-living, ever-being, ever-knowing being called God, and I'll never know him. One of the joys. I'm an adventurous kind of guy. I like to explore stuff. I think one of the awesome things is heaven is every day waking up, getting to explore something new about God. (laughs) That ain't going to be awesome, man. Matter of fact, that's one of the awesome things today that I get up every morning and get explored and find things out about God. But what I know is, Jesus said, this is my body and this is my blood, so I go, okay, it's your body and it's your blood. I, I got nothing with that. Somebody says, how? I said, I got no idea. But I want you to know this. He said, this is my table. This is where I come to meet you. There's some things don't go at this table. Your pride, your sin, those things don't go to this table. Because he's there. He's there this morning to meet you. He wants you to remember what he gave to you in life, in joy. He saved us all out of who we were. There's none of us that can brag about anything we were or could be or, or, or thought we wanted to be. The only thing we can do is thank God. Matter of fact, this table is called a table of thanksgiving. Some people call it a Eucharist. It's just saying, thank you, God, for reaching down and taking a hold of a wretch like me and sitting down and and having supper with me. At your table is one of your kids. That's what this is. I'm going to ask the men to come, and we're we're just going to ask you, wherever you are to sit at the table of the Lord in your heart. If, if you've got some things that don't belong at the table, you just, just say to God, you know, Lord, I've got this sin. I've got this pride. I, I want to give it to you today so you can come to his table. And, 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 then, and, and then have a chance to just look at him face to face. You need to close your eyes. Maybe you can imagine him or maybe you can just do that. Yeah, come on up, man. Maybe you got something to be thankful for. And you can just be thankful for it. But I'd like for the men to pass this out and then we'll pray over it and then you can open and, and receive at your own time. But, it, but if you have something this, this, time, this week to be thankful for or in your life, th- this is a time to do it. This time to say thank you, Lord. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen to the New Covenant Fellowship podcast. We want to connect with you. You can visit us online at ncfokc.org for more information about our church. If God spoke to you and you'd like prayer, please text us at 405-518-5164 and we will get back with you. God bless and have a great day.